As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Game Podcast. I'm Gabriel Marcotti, and this week I'm joined by Patty Barkley, Stuart Robson, and making his seasonal debut, Mr. Peter Lansley from the Midlands, to discuss all the latest footballing action. And today we'll be taking a look at the epic clash at Goodison Park and also Chelsea's demolition of Woeful West Ham. And in our debate, we'll be discussing the arrival of <laughs> Gerard Houllier at Villa Park. So please join us for the next 35 minutes or so. Let's get our premiership review started by going to Goodison Park, Everton and Manchester United. And But before we actually get into the game, uh, I need to get everybody's verdict on this Rooney situation. And, and namely the fact that Sir Alex Ferguson came out and said that uh, Rooney wasn't going to be playing to spare him the abuse at uh, that he regularly gets at, at Goodison. Prompting some people to say, well, he's never done that before and he's always gotten abuse there. Um, some suggestions afterwards, it was some kind of punishment. Patty, your take. I think, uh, well, first of all, I think it was an ex- un- unbelievably stupid thing for Ferguson to say because it will just uh, encourage fans to believe that this kind of thing gets the players. Um, and obviously it will crank up the volume of the abuse not only Rooney, but all other players get henceforth. Um, I'm sure the Liverpool fans will uh, applaud uh, Rooney warmly onto the field next um, Sunday, for example, um, and not mention anything uh, off the field uh, or germane to the match. So, uh, I mean, that, for a start, I thought was idiotic. Uh, on Ferguson's part but uh, as far as the dropping is concerned there are two, I mean the pros seem to think that it was uh, a straight dropping and a warning uh, about as to his future behaviour I don't find that characteristic of Ferguson I think he would have picked the team for the game um, and uh, as it turned out they they, they, they dropped two points, but I don't think Rooney would have affected that greatly one way or another since he's not a centre-half. Uh, Stuart, uh, what's your reading of, of it? Well, I think it's accumulation of a lot of things. He'd played two games in a, in a short space of time for England, and as Arsene Wenger did with the with the players that had played two games, he left them out the side. Uh, there's also, I think, he wanted to make sure the team were focused on what they were doing, and the, the players out there were focused, rather than the game being focused around one player. Uh, and I think it was a bit of a punishment as well. So I think it was accumulation of all three things. I, I want to get you, your view, Paddy, on, uh, on on Berber because you know last season it looked like he was being written off and crucified and Sir Alex didn't believe in him anymore and that's yeah. where we got this idea that Wayne Rooney's a lone striker mm. um, 
But now, right now, Berbatov's too good to keep out of the side, right? Uh, absolutely, I couldn't agree more. I think uh, this is this is the this is why a lot of people believe that Sir Alex Ferguson has supernatural powers because as soon as um, uh, Rooney goes off or has to be dropped, Berbatov uh, suddenly appears and does the Rooney job as well, if not better. Than, um, than Rooney sometimes does it. I thought that the finish for his goal was a piece of genius. Uh, I mean, I don't know if Stuart would agree, but he he, um, he kidded the goalkeeper. He, he immobilized the goalkeeper um, in fainting to shoot one way, and then it was sort of like, a, what's it they call in cricket, an arm ball. Mm. Um, and uh, I, I thought that in itself was was just worth watching the match just for that piece of skill I think he's an absolutely marvellous player and I think that without Rooney uh, and with a feeling the feeling that he had at Spurs which was that he was the main man he was Marco van Basten he, he was he was big and strong too he could do anything he liked um, and everybody in the crowd absolutely loved him and wanted to marry him I think that once he gets that feeling at Old Trafford if he ever does he'll be utterly devastating uh, as he was um, on Saturday Lansley on Burba I, I agree with Paddy on that I love the bit about everyone wanting to marry him <laughs> I don't but um, <laughs> I think he'd get into my works worth under 12 for his skill value he, he really is something special when, when he is made to feel the main man that's absolutely the point but don't ever expect him to work the channel too hard or to go muscling defenders out of play. You know, you've got to play around his strength, and then, boy, does he come to the fore. There was a little volley that went just wide as well. He just oh, God, touched yeah. out of the air. It was absolutely sublime. Yeah. You know. Ferguson, is he a genius? Well, he's been there for however, 27 years or something, so perhaps he knows the player. Yeah. Uh, I think you'll find it's, uh, it's not 27. I mean, we, we, we need a Sir Alex biographer here. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well. 1986, wasn't it? It's 1986, 24. 1986, November. 24 years. 24. 24 years in, uh, in two months' time. Um, one thing I wanted to touch upon, uh, Stuart, was to me, and maybe I'm looking at this a little too much from an entire perspective, mm-hmm. if you're 3-1 up and you're in injured time, you, you don't concede two goals. In fact, if you go up by two goals, you do not concede two. You win the game no matter what. And what's interesting is I actually went back and saw the last time that this happened to Manchester mm. United Premier League game was actually in November of, of 2000. Um, and you guys might remember the game. It was, uh, it was Charlton against Manchester United. But what's curious about it is it had already, it was the third time that it had happened this season because it had already happened against West Ham yep. and it had happened against Chelsea as well. So clearly there was something a little bit funny going on um, back then with Manchester United uh, but was this a blip or is this or are there some, some basic defensive issues there and we can't blame everything on Johnny Evans can we? No of course not but what happens is if you're if you're 2-0 up or, 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 two, or, or up by two goals the one thing you've got to do is stop crosses coming into your box if you can't stop the crosses coming into your box first and foremost then when it comes into your box you have to defend it with determination and, and, and make sure you get good headers if you don't get good headers the next player needs to be first of the knockdown if you watch Ryan Giggs for the last goal he actually stops when, when Arteta gets a shot in Ryan Giggs goes away from the danger area. As that ball goes past him, he should be back in the danger. I don't think they did t- defended with enough determination. There wasn't that never-say-die attitude when balls were coming in the box, which we've seen from Manchester United. We've seen from, oh, the top sides always have to have it. You know, you we think don't, Gary Neville's finished? 
Uh, well, I, I, Gary Neville, I thought he was really poor in the first half when Pienaar went at him. You know, he, he doesn't look athletic enough. Um, he didn't really want to go and press Leighton Baines. He got very tight to his centre-halves at times when Leighton Baines came. It was difficult for him because Pienaar was going in field, so he had a decision to make. Do I go in field with, with Pienaar or, or do I stay in my space and try and stop Baines getting the crosses in? But they didn't stop crosses coming in. They didn't defend it when it came into the box. And you're always going to have... And you could see Everton, every time the ball came into the box in that last 10 minutes, thought they could get a goal. And trouble is when someone like Gary Neville, through the experience, I've I've learned from my own time in playing that experienced players sometimes look after themselves. They use their experience to look after themselves and make others do all the work for them. And I think Gary Neville is taking up the wrong positions now because he wants to hide. You know, he won't go and cha- make challenges. He won't go into dangerous areas. He'll drop deeper or he'll drop next to his centre half, so he doesn't have to go and challenge the winger as he gets crosses in. He'll, he'll blame the wide player for not getting back. You know, and he, he's not making the same sort of runs that he should do when he's going forward as well. So experience. Is not always a good thing. Sometimes it means players hide. Uh, one final thing here, and it's a refereeing point, and Alison are qualified referees in here, but these are the rules as I understand it. David Moyes is a million percent correct to be angry. Three minutes of time added on, uh, but for every goal that's scored during the injury time, it's common practice to add 30 seconds, and for every substitution as well. So there's two goals scored in extra time. You should, uh, in injury time, you should go on and play till the 94th minute. And in any case, it's really churlish to to let the guy run like 40 yards and then, oh, I better blow the whistle now just before Jagielka uh, shoots on goal. Well, why are referees like this, Patty? Well, I particularly, I, I, if, uh, I, I agree on the first point. Uh, I think that if um, when sort of two minutes is signaled, you then get further... Um, uh, interruptions and no further time added on. The referee should be suspended for the rest of the season. That is an unforgivable error because it's so simple to uh, to police. Um, uh, so I, I think, it, to me, I think that's the cardinal sin of refereeing because it's not a it's not an error of judgment. It's just being plain lazy. Um, so. Uh, that on that point, I don't think there is any defence whatsoever. On the question of phase of play, uh, I mean, the mind goes back to Clive Thomas. I don't know how many would remember the the Welsh referee who in the World uh, Cup. threw the whistle as a corner uh, went over to a Brazilian in a match against New Zealand in 1982, I think, whatever it was. Um, 78, Paddy. Yeah, and, and, and yeah, the, the whistle was blown while the corner was coming over. That was perceived as, uh, as silly um, in that, you know, uh, adding on time isn't an exact science. Having said that, phases of play can last an awful long time. So there might be, there might be situations in which you simply have to. Can you imagine a, a final phase of play against Barcelona? It could take six minutes if they're in possession. <laughs> So I don't think you. I, I, I think Moyes' second point was was weaker than the first, which which in in my opinion should lead to the referee's suspension because it, it, it it's just unforgivable. Well, that's why some of us are in favour of real time. Yes. Moving on to West Ham and Chelsea, two teams going in decidedly different directions. Um, I want to start with you, uh, uh, Lansley, uh, because you got to uh, experience um, the uh, axis of Gold, Sullivan, and uh, Brady up close. Um, okay, I'm viewing from afar. If I were uh, uh, stupid, I might say, look, 
These guys are at Birmingham. Birmingham are mediocre. They leave Birmingham. Birmingham become a top eight side. They they go to West Ham. Uh, West Ham finished ninth the season before, and then all of a sudden after they get there, West Ham stink. Maybe they're part of the problem, not the solution. Would would, would I be all wrong if I said that? Well, I, I think to um, to claim Birmingham are now a top eight side is um, is a bit premature. Well, they were under Carson Young in his hair, right? After he took over, they did a lot better, right? They've, they've had an exceptional 12 months. They really have done brilliantly. Since and they left. Since they left. But I, I think that's more to do with Alex McLeish and the, the team ethos and the team shape and, and some excellent purchases than anyone behind the scenes. And it isn't as if Alex McLeish has gone and spent, you know, mega, mega money. He spent a couple of six million. Um, so first of all, I think it's a lot down to Alex McLeish, as, it, as Birmingham's success earlier was a lot down to Steve Bruce. Um, Sullivan and Gold, they, they do seem to like the limelight, I think it's fair to say. And if that sometimes undermines um, the harmony at a club, then that's a price they seem willing to pay. They didn't need to leave, lose, they didn't need to lose Steve Bruce to Wigan Athletic when Bruce had come, come through a really rocky time and then because of the, um, you know, the impending takeover by Carson Young, Bruce sort of fell through the floorboards. And that was bad boardroom management, whichever way you look at it. Um, now with West Ham, West Ham you're saying sinking down to what uh, Birmingham had become. It all looks rocky again, doesn't it? I mean, the, the, the ultimatums they go and put on managers and getting rid of Gianfranco Zola, who may well have developed into a very good young manager, given the chance. It, it looks, that looks a bit knee-jerk. However much they claim that they stand by managers for years and years, they've gone and lost some at some critical times. And Abraham Grant, what, is, what kind of appointment is that? Uh, Paddy, you contrast this with, um, with Chelsea, where... You know, there was a period when people had to go, uh, you know, Abramovich mm-hmm. and Frank Arneson and Kenyon, and look, that's the reason that Mourinho left, blah, blah, blah. Now it seems kind of weird because you never really hear about Abramovich or Arneson. They seem to be holding, a, you know, keeping a very, very low profile. Yes, uh, and, and um, I mean, they are now uh, in severe danger of becoming a... Uh, a popular, respected, and dare I say, even liked club. While West Ham, the club we um, all loved, with their fervent yet knowledgeable fans and um, boardroom stability and uh, excellent traditions of youth development, um, are, are now doing a possible imitation of, uh, of Portsmouth in the in the pre-crisis days. I think that. Um, uh, I think it's, it's it's deeply, deeply sad, and 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 uh, poor Ron Greenwood must be spinning in his grave, uh, and 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 um, uh, Trevor Brooking must be squirming in his um, um, in his existence. I, I really do think it's a it's a dreadful, dreadful thing that's happened to that club, and I mean Sullivan and Gold. Although no one doubts their um, the, the, the genuine supporters of the club, even though they ran another club. Um, which played competitive matches against West Ham. Um, uh, you know, nobody doubts their sincerity, um, but uh, their um, their judgment is hopeless. 
Hey, can you, uh, Stuart? Can you explain to me why Sullivan this weekend again? Obviously, he's gotten mm-hmm. you know he's got certain mouthpieces out there, uh, and, and he goes on again every week about the debt. And we got so much debt. I don't know if we can continue. It seems like did he not? I'm assuming they did their due diligence. Since Karen well, Brady is England's yet. most respected businesswoman, apparently. Um, I'm sure they would have gone there and said, like, oh, look, there's a lot of debt. It's not like it's a mystery that West Ham were heavily in debt. Did they not do their sums? Well, they, they must have done their sums. I think they're using this as an excuse all the time. Whatever club you're at, you have to have a philosophy. The way you're going to play the game, the way you're going to run your club. At the moment, I can't see a philosophy at West Ham. I couldn't see what their philosophy is on the field, but you certainly can't see what their philosophy is in buying players. You know, they haven't got a scouting system at West Ham. Now, I think David Sullivan, with a couple of agents, does all the signings. That can't be right. You can't can't have that. and, and, and uh, Paddy mentioned him Paddy uh, Ron Greenwood uh, John Lowell although it wasn't always successful football they had a philosophy this is the way we're going to play these are the style of players that we want to buy to fit into our philosophy and that's not happening at the moment they're just buying like Portsmouth did before we'll just get this player he's available we'll get this player he's available come on manager you've got to try and get him into some sort of shape and that's think, never ever going to work I think Stuart makes a good point about agents I think if you show me a club that's run by agents and, mm. and I'll show you a club that's storing up serious trouble and and I've I've always uh, I simply don't see any justification for any club using an agent at any time players yes I think agents have a very uh, legitimate role in representing players and trying to advance the, the players interest and I'm, I, I think that's excellent and it's inevitable that they that certain agents will have better relationships with some clubs than others. Absolutely nothing wrong with that. But when you get agents acting as chief scout, which is what actually happens in the game, you you have got an absolute nonsense. And and a lot of football's problems, and, and, and the hidden scandal of football, is that is that hundreds of millions of pounds go out of it every year uh, being paid to people who are useless and in many cases corrupt. Sorry, let's, let's move it on from there. No talk, no more talk about agents. Now, I'm under an official court injunction not to discuss Michael Eskin because of my weird and rather creepy obsession with him. Um, so I'll leave it. Any one of you guys want to praise the Bison for his two-headed goals and we thought he couldn't head? Well, he's playing in the right position. He's playing in, you know, he had Mikel Obi playing as the holding midfield player. He could make the runs from, from that position. He's got great spring. He's a great athlete. I don't always think he's the great, greatest technical player, but he's got such dynamism in his movement, and it was two great leaps for the guy. I mean, he's beating uh, Ben Haim, I think, at the far post for the second goal, out-jumped him, and he's a good defender, Ben, ben Haim, which certainly in the air. He, he is the bionic man. He is God's gift to football. Oh, well, he's a, he's a wonderful athlete. I still think he can improve technically. There's no yeah, question think, about that. Yeah, I think he's uh, an athlete, although he does surprise you uh, with his technique. I'm thinking in particular of a left foot volley against Barcelona, which is one of the best uh, hits I've ever seen. But, of course, there is an element always uh, in these spectacular goals. As, as Bobby Charlton, the, the first of the great long-range shooters, once said, uh, you know, I just vaguely aim for the goal. Um, and uh, but but I mean uh, that apart, uh, Essien's no, he's not an elegant player, but uh, a, a great a great great athlete. Time now for our debate. Gerard Houllier uh, set to arrive at Villa Park uh, with, uh, well, I suppose, sometime this week. Um, now, the reception's been a bit cool, from, or so we've read. General Charles Krulak has had to go on uh, numerous discussion boards to uh, defend the club's appointment. Um, Peter, you're there. You're on the spot. You live closer to Villa Park than any of us. Um, is, is this really the mood among, among the Villa fans? Yes, 
it is. Yeah, I, I remember when. As you're listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. And um, Martin O'Neill was appointed four years ago. It was like the Beatles had just come to town outside Villa Park. He was absolutely mobbed. And okay, he did follow David O'Leary. But, um, you know, they were, they were so pleased to, um, to see that appointment. Um, I, I wandered into Villa Park about half an hour, 45 minutes before the press conference on Friday, and, well, two men and his dog, but the dog hadn't turned up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a respect for him because he's a man of dignity, he's a man who's got a great CV, um, who's Liverpool side, initially at least, played some very good football. But there seems to be, for Villa fans, a bit. I, I, I perceive they sense there's a mismatch there between this sort of um, urbane, um, you know, continental manager and what they currently have at Villa, which did seem to be going somewhere. Okay, Villa had hit the hit the buses a bit in terms of finance, but they've just finished six in successive seasons. They've um, you know got to two Wembley made two Wembley appearances and O'Neill seemed to be building a unit, didn't he? Everything was sort of made in his image, if you like. Now, all of a sudden, those players are still there. They still play the same way at the moment, of course, under Kevin McDonald, just keeping things ticking over. But we have a very different manager there. It doesn't seem to fit for me at the moment and I think that's how Villa fans see it. Sorry, sorry if, if I just go back to you, Peter. If I understand what you're saying correctly, Julier is urbane and sophisticated, and O'Neill, you're implying somehow wasn't, but was effective. Now, regular listeners will know I'm not Martin O'Neill's biggest fan, but I think there's a lot more sophistication, personally, to Martin O'Neill 
than there is to to Gerard Houllier. Well, are you being a bit unfair on O'Neill here? Um, when I talk about sophistication, I'm not talking about the man. I'm talking about the way the the teams go out. I mean, O'Neill, as you know, is you know he can be sophistication personified. He's he's a charming, really intelligent, really thoughtful individual. Um, but the way his team went out. Did it play with? I think it played with as much passion as it did intelligence. Absolutely. You know, I think there was at least that balance. And you, James Milner epitomised what Villa have been about over the last two years. And you know, most teams in the land would would love to have him in their team. How he would fit in the Manchester United team at the moment? You know, he would just he'd be in there every week. So was Arsene Wenger right when he said last year? I think that Aston Villa are a long ball team. No, that was that was an oversimplification. But they are, um, and also intended to wind O'Neill up because I don't think the two of them are the best of friends. Um, but if James Milner, so he's in a right half position, if people are old enough for that, so he's you know tucked in on the right, and he sees Ashley Young on the touchline, which he often was to Villa's credit, to O'Neill's credit. Young, chalk on his boots, far side. Milner's got the ball, centre circle. If he can ping a 60-yard ball onto Ashley Young's chest so that Young can get rampaging at a fullback, then he would do it time after time after time. Is that long ball football? I don't think it is, but it involves the ball being sent a long distance. Well, that, that's an age-old debate, and Fabio Capello, of course, uh, w- would view things the way uh, Martin O'Neill did because he got Chiaro to famously do that back in the day. Um, Paddy, i just guessing here, just testing the waters, but I'm guessing that out of the four of us, you're probably Julier's biggest fan here. Yes, I'm a big fan. I like him personally. Um, and I think that I appreciate, I agree with what Peter says. And I don't think the, um, the wave of apathy is confined to, 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 um, to Villa Park. I think that all over the country people are saying, well, yeah. Mm. Um, and it, it, it's, I, I'm thinking back to other instances the arrival of Arsene Wenger at Arsenal for example was greeted with even more skepticism um, and, and, and how well that uh, how, what a good judgment that turned out are you, are, you re- are you really comparing that I mean if I play devil's advocate here for a minute when yes. Wenger arrived he was about 20 years younger than Julier is now yes. and more importantly we've seen Julier for seven years yes. we know what Julier oh, can do when oh, he has the, okay I'll, I'll give you another example when Roy Hodgson went to Fulham I live in the Fulham area and that was greeted with apathy as well uh, even more so when results uh, obstinately failed to improve on uh, those even of Laurie Sanchez for, for, for several months, uh, people forget. And um, so I wouldn't, uh, you know, I sort of have a rather simplistic view of management and, uh, you, you know, you, you, you learn to do it and you, um, and you, then you go and do it. I, I don't believe in alchemists, really, although some do exist. I don't think Martin O'Neill was one. I think he was just a good manager. Um, I think that the potential at, at, at Aston Villa was reached under O'Neill. Therefore, Ulier has a hard act to follow. Um, but I think he, he knows the job inside out. He, he was proving way back in the early 80s, nearly 30 years ago. Um, he, he got lost into, into Europe. He, he, he brought the, champ, the, the title to Paris for the first time in half a century. I mean, he, he's a manager. You know, he deserves a bit of respect. Um, Is he a coach, Paddy? 
Um, I, well, I, I think he, he knows a, he knows a bit about coaching, and I, I think he, he's, he he it would be very very helpful. If if, if I may talk about the downside, um, uh, I'm I'm concerned that Kevin McDonald hasn't been uh, embraced uh, in the way that I I, I I I was rather hoping that Ulier, to whom I haven't spoken in the last couple of weeks, um, would I hope that he would have the sense to see that McDonald is clearly very respected coach at Villa Park, and that he should be the the Phil Thompson, you know, the 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 link between the previous regime and the and the future one. And I'm disappointed I... that uh, that Kevin McDonald doesn't appear to have been given a lift in status under the Ulier regime, and that's the one thing that worries me. But don't worry about Gerard Ulier; he's a football manager. Okay, now Stuart, I'm going to put my Randy Lerner hat on mm-hmm. and say, okay. Part of the reason O'Neill's gone is because while I came in, I spent all this money. I brought these young players who could grow with the idea that we'd spend a lot of money for a few years and then we wouldn't need to spend money because the young players would develop. O'Neill, whatever, eventually he didn't want that, and Milner, whatever, and even O'Neill leaves. But those young players, a lot of those young players are still there, right? People mm-hmm. like Fabian Delph and mm-hmm. like Bon Lahore and Ashley Young. Is Lerner's attitude now, should Lerner's attitude to Julier be, um, Gerard? I saw this story in the paper about you being interested in this Michael Owen thing. I don't ever want to hear this again. Mm-hmm. You're going to come here and you're going to work with Martin O'Neill's young players because they're good young players and you're supposedly such a wonderful but, coach but, and you're so knowledgeable. But I think that was one of the problems that Martin O'Neill had. He wanted to buy senior players. He wanted to buy players. The academy and the reserve side were saying the players we've got here already, the players we've been working with for the last 10 years are better than the players you're buying. And that's one of the problems Randy Lerner could see. Why have we bought this player that's playing in the reserves, or they don't play in the reserves, this squad player that Martin O'Neill was not even using. There was a divide between, and I can tell you, there was a divide between Martin O'Neill, Steve Walford and John Robertson, and the other people at the club. And I think some, Kevin McDonald and the other reserve team, Gordon Cowans, all those people, when they had Raddy Lerner's ear, they're saying, well, we're not developing these players. Once they go in the first team, all the work we're doing with them, it's not happening in the first You're team. you about Kieran Clark, Mark Albrighton, yeah, Fonson, all, that, all like these that. sort of players, they're, they're not being taken taken on to the next level because Martin O'Neill isn't a coach. Steve Wolford's not a coach. John Robertson's not a coach. Their training is, is dated. Their views on football are dated. They're not developing as, a, as, a, as players and as a side. They play one-dimensional football and if you want to get the best out of these young players, we need to work with them closely and we need to improve their technical ability, their tactical understanding. That's not going to happen with Martin O'Neill. Peter, does this jive, does this jive with your information that there was such a rift between sort of Gordon Cowens and McDonald on one hand and, and O'Neill's crew on the other? I, I don't. I, I can't say. I don't. I don't know whether there was that divide between the two. There was sen- certainly a sense of divide amongst the amount of players that O'Neill and big money players that well, O'Neill I, was buying. Well, I, I, I know a couple of the Aston Villa players. Mm-hmm. I, won't, I coached them when uh, one of them when he was at Wimbledon, and I met him after the West Ham game, and he was saying they were pleased. The players were pleased that Martin O'Neill had gone. Now they mm-hmm. get some proper coaching. Now they get good training sessions because at the moment it was just a jolly up and hard work, and Martin O'Neill c- came in just on match days, and the coaching was of good enough quality until Kevin McDonald took the first team over in, in the start of this season. OK, point accepted. And also, Stuart, there was a sense after that West Ham game, OK, they won one game, mm. but the players were absolutely buzzing. And and, and, there was a, and so were the fans. Yeah, and there was a, the press crew were surprised how the players won after, even Petrov, you mm. know, O'Neill's man from Celtic, how they were, they were just purring about the week they'd had and they knew the team shape and everything. So I totally take that on board. I think the biggest division... 
was while O'Neill was succeeding and buying Ashley Young and James Milner and they were succeeding, then fine, do it your way. But the more players that he bought and then sat in the reserves because there'd been a fallout, Curtis Davis, Luke, what's long, wrong with Luke Young? Nigel Rio Coca, big money signings. Nigel Rio Coca, he's got something with Roy Keane. Oh, we fall now. Oh, he's in the reserves. Oh, he's on the way out. I think that was the biggest divide for me because the boardroom mm. thought, he's asking for another 50 million. Hang on a minute. What have we bought with the last 50 million? Half of them aren't in the team. Emil Heskey. He lost, yeah. he, he lost the Champions League place because he bought Emil Heskey. If, if we can bring it back to, uh, to, to, to Gerard Houllier, uh, much as I love talking about Martin O'Neill. Um, Paddy, uh, one of the things with, uh, um, with Houllier uh, is, is his age. Um, and if you're talking about a technical director figure so on you, you, you know you're looking at somebody who can work in the in the medium term mm-hmm. um, you know can last you five to ten years now yeah. five years from now I believe he's going to be 69 years old 68 68 now if he is being asked to take the club in a completely different direction yeah. from Martin O'Neill mm-hmm. then he's going to need another one of his famous five-year plans yeah. Uh, well, does this make sense? Should they have thought this through better and actually maybe, if, if, he, if he is sort of a, a director of football with a coach to be groomed under him, mm-hmm. should they maybe have got the coach in place first or, or, or done the two at the same time? Yes, I, I do think that. I think that, that, that the, the kind of uh, structure that, that you're talking about, um, and I mean, Stuart will remember when the aforementioned Greenwood and Lyle worked mm. together. They were, um, I mean, Stuart would know much better than me, but um, I got the impression that they were philosophically joined. Mm. Um, there was, they understood each other absolutely perfectly, and, and they were of, well, uh, Lyle was of the Greenwood tradition. Well, it also happened at Liverpool, didn't it, over many years oh. in the boot room? They had the same uh, philosophy time and time again. Absolutely. Absolutely so, and so that you need uh, you, you need that, you need that to be to be done at first. Now, I'm not sure if um, General Robert E. Lee or who, whatever his name is, who, who runs the club, whether whether he knows Charles I mean, Krulak. I, 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 I was, he's a general. Well, he'll come gen- to your house and he'll whoop you. Yeah, but I mean, for heaven's sake, I, I read. I mean, and 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 Peter will be able to confirm this. I read that the process of hiring uh, Gerard Houllier was conducted with the help of headhunters. Now, if you need headhunters, you don't know what you're doing. You're not, you're not, if you don't think, if you're not capable of appointing a new manager without employing a firm of headhunters, you're a babe in the woods. And, and it, it, uh, that, that kind of does worry me. And about you know who they usually get as headhunters, it's usually agents. Yeah, headhunters well, is a nice word for agents here. All right, time now for some quick hits. Now, we've had some complaints about uh, the bell, so this week we've moved on to a duck call, which will sound something like this. Since this is is the first time that Peter Lansley is joining us, Peter, you will be asked a question. You will answer within 25 seconds. You you can answer in much more briefly than 25 seconds if you like, but if you go further, I will play the duck call and I will get very angry, so please don't do that. Now, Liverpool and Birmingham played with a scoreless draw. The Reds have scored just twice all season, and clearly right now, Fernando Torres is part of the problem, not part of the solution. Uh, Paddy, what can Roy Hodgson do to help him break his funk? Time. 
I would have thought, is the only solution with Hodgson and, and Liverpool. I mean, Hodge, he will, uh, the, the, all the experience of Fulham and, 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 and other places beforehand, is that if players, um, you know, attend enough training sessions of Roy Hodgson, they will eventually all improve collectively at first and eventually individually on the, on the model of Bobby Zamora. <laughs> Got to be time because, uh, well, with Ryan Bobble and David Ngog, there aren't too many other alternatives. A couple weeks ago, we had George Culkin on, and we all praised Newcastle to high heaven. Now, of course, the tune go out, and they lose at home to Blackpool. Peter, should we be dissing the tune or bigging up the pool? Oh, bigging up the pool. Phantasmagoria, was it, Ian Holloway, trying to create new words to describe just how brilliant Blackpool were. Well, with two away wins in the first months of the Premier League season, you've just got to say, fantastic, well done. No pressure on them. Everton's a bonus. All those old cliches are totally true. Plus, the way Ian Holloway has been playing the game since he came back into football with his 4-3-3, three genuine strikers into movement. And thanks to Ian Holloway, the Premier League is a four-horse race again. <laughs> Arsenal beat Bolton 4-1, the last goal coming after an unreal 26-pass build-up before Carlos Velas' uh, strike. Stuart, was that just a load of eye candy, or is it a sign of Arsenal's dominance? At that point, Bolton had actually given up the ghost. They'd, they were 3-1 down, they had a player sent off, they knew they couldn't win the ball back, they were just going for damage limitation, they allowed Arsenal to pass the ball around, then they had time on the ball, Vela made a great run, Bolton tried to play a high offside line, Andy O'Brien had just come on, he didn't see the run, and Vela's got to go. Arsenal played well, but they weren't that dominant. I thought it was really pretty. Patty, uh, do you know what Scott Parker and DJ Campbell have in common? Yes, I do. They're the only two Englishmen to have scored a Premier League goal this weekend. So what's your question? Is this just a statistical quirk, or is it something to be concerned about? Uh, a bit of both, really. I think... Uh, um, I think it, 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 the, the, the production of good English players is a real problem. I was in Dortmund and uh, to see the, their academy at the weekend, and it, it, it shows how the German uh, national team is not an accident. Uh, so we have to get started on that. Unfortunately, the Premier League are aware of it. Manchester City are held by Blackburn Rovers 1-1, and Joe Hart teams up with Colo Toure to make an almighty blunder. Um, Peter, should we revisit our views on Mr. Hart and remind ourselves that he's still, especially in goalkeeping terms, uh, a youngster? Yes, absolutely, but he's still the best goalkeeper in England, and he's a very good goalkeeper who's going to get even better. Um, I'm delighted that he's getting his run as England's number one. You could sense in the England internationals he was just getting a little bit cocky with his late kicking last week, so I'm not totally surprised it's been a mistake, but stick with him. He's going to be England's best goalkeeper and their regular for the next 10 years. Okay, you did say England's best goalkeeper at the end before you said best goalkeeper in England. I don't know if that was a bit of a mistake there, but uh, if, if, it w if you did mean best goalkeeper in England, I'm going to send Pepe Reina over to your house. <laughs> best English goalkeeper I'll go with. Bobby Zamora gets himself injured, but Musa Dembele comes up huge for Fulham, scoring a last-minute winner against Wolves. Uh, Stuart, what do you make of this young Belgian? Well, I was impressed with him when he was at 20. He can play in several different positions across the front. He can run with the ball. He's got intelligence. He plays little one-twos with other people. He can link up the play. He's quick, and he obviously can score a goal. When he played for FC20, he was a good player. He's going to be a good player in the Premier League. Mark his Premier League for Fulham. Some of us, of course, predicted that Belgium would win the 2014 World Cup with uh, the like of Moussa Dembele and Eden Hazard and Romelu Lukaku and Stephen Dufour and Jan Vertonghen. So much talent. 
Gab, anyway, listen, uh, I've got a question for you. I noticed that Milan and Barcelona both went down 2-0 this weekend, which was more of a shock from, from your point of view. Well, both teams pretty much stank it up, but I think the shock was was more Barcelona. They were home to newly promoted Hercules, and it was the Dia de Catalunya, the, the day that they all celebrate being Catalan. And uh, I thought Hercules were total value for money with people like uh, Drente and uh, Trezeguet, who nobody seems to love. AC Milan lost 2-0 against Chizena, uh, another newly promoted side. Interestingly enough, Chizena's entire team wage bill less or, or roughly the same as Slatan Ibrahimovic's wages. Thanks for joining us. But remember, you can go to www.thetimes.co.uk. You'll find all the latest news. You'll find uh, gossip. You'll find information about web chats. I'm doing one uh, on Mondays, and uh, Ollie K does one on Wednesdays. You can also follow us all on Twitter. Basically, plenty for you to get stuck into. In any case, we'll catch you next week. Till then, bye-bye. Listening to me, Daisy, Apple's iPhone disassembly robot, is dismantling an iPhone into lots of recyclable parts. That's how Apple recovers more materials than conventional recycling methods. Thanks, Daisy. There's more to iPhone. <laughs>